Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan, and welcome to our Friday edition of the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. Today, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, and I are going to look back at the first three installments of our 21 questions for the 2021 Browns series. We go through each of the posts that we've written to start the series. Now, to check out that series, go to cleveland.com slash Browns. And, of course, some of those you're going to have to be a football insider to read. And you get more than just access to those stories if you're a football insider. You get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every day, written by a member of our Browns reporting team. And you get a chance to be a part of our tech subscription, where we text you updates throughout the day, including, look, we were on the field at OTAs this week, and we were texting updates about what was happening at practice. So that's cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. To become a Football Insider subscriber, click that to get information and get signed up. Okay, here we go. Our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And here we go on our Friday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Now, if you haven't been paying attention, we have been doing a 21 questions series beginning this week. 21 questions about the 2021 Browns. So we're going to get a little bit caught up on that. We each have written one post in that when you're listening to this, there'll be a fourth post that went up on Friday morning. So let's get to it. Mary Kay, let's start with you. What was your question? My question was, can Baker Mayfield put together one full good season? He had a half of a good season in 2018. He had kind of a all down season in 2019 for the most part. And he had another really good half of the season in 2020. So is this the year in 2021 that Baker Mayfield can put together that one full good season. And what I did in my post was I broke it down into six different categories. I actually could have done more. I could have kept going, but I I just kind of tried to contain it to those six things. I won't lay all those out here at the outset, but I will mention a couple of them. And the conclusion that I pretty much drew was that I do think he can have a full good season this year and one of the main reasons why I think that is because it is for the for the first time in his career he is in the same system and he can build on what he did last year Uh, he can hit the ground running right from the start when he goes to Kansas City where he left off in the playoffs last year uh, he can hit the ground running and he completely knows the system he knows his personnel last year when he played the opener He had never played with Jedrick Wills Jr., his left tackle. He had never played with Jack Conklin. He had never played with Austin Hooper. Uh, So this year, uh, he knows his guys. 
And the coaching staff knows Baker. They know what to do with him. They know that it's better to get him out of the pocket and, and to get him going on, on the keepers, the bootlegs, the rollouts, and things like that. They know that he functions better in play action than out of play action. So I would say that that's the number one reason uh, why I think that, that he can pull together one full good season for the first time. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that that week one going into that because it's, it was like it's been like a running joke on on Gotta Watch the Tape about how we don't talk about that game anymore because it was just such a weird thing and that nothing that happened after that was like that. You know, we expected all these things in Kevin Stefanski's offense and they just didn't happen in that game. There wasn't much play action. There was a lot of empty backfield, just weird things going on that didn't track with what we expected and. You're right. I, I think everybody expects it to be totally different. Now it's the Chiefs in week one. It could go horribly. We don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it's a tough matchup no matter how experienced you are. But the idea that he's going into his first offseason really here, uh, going into his uh, first year of actually having back-to-back offenses, the same deal, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that he's going into that just his fourth year. So, But even beyond that, just everybody around him is back. And I do think, you know, out of six – things that you listed for reasons, obviously the continuity is a big one, but Odell coming back, I think is, is really big too. And there was the, the crazy storyline about how everything went right because Odell left and I don't subscribe to that at all. I think having him back there, you're going to see a different dimension of this offense and that they didn't have once everything started clicking. So you're right. I think he can kind of hit the ground running for the first time in his career. Everything's kind of set up for it to do that. And even if things don't go perfect against the Chiefs, I still think the, the Browns are in a much better place and he's in a much better place uh, than at any other point in his career. He was the sixth highest rated quarterback with play action last season. And his difference in yards per attempt on pro football focus was fourth in the league behind Jalen Hurts, Mike Glennon, Tom Brady. Uh, he was fourth tied with Nick Mullins as far as his difference in yards per attempt out of play action versus no play action. So, you know, we've seen over the years how stark that contrast is. I want to ask this question about, should we just wipe out 2019 when we talk about Baker Mayfield? We talk about how good he was in 2018 and, of course, how that season finished. And then we talk about, you know, a little shakier in the first half of 2020. We got really good in the second half. If you project some of those numbers out, you're talking top top eight, top five-ish quarterback play, statistically at least. How much weight should we put in 2019 at this point? Now that we've seen how he looked in Kevin Stefanski's offense, and we also have that rookie year to work off of. You know, I, I think for the most part, we can put that season to rest and attribute it to just a completely dysfunctional offense run by Freddie Kitchens. Again, I've said this on the pod uh, many times. I've talked to people that were part of it that said they've never been through anything that disorganized before in their entire careers, uh, that it was uh, just a disaster, not only during the week in terms of preparation, uh, but also on game day in, in terms of play calling. I mean, there were times when there would be three, four different people uh, in the headset trying to figure out what they wanted to do. And so I do think largely you can write 2019 off as a disaster Uh, because of what was going on. Baker Mayfield regressed as a quarterback. He needed to get his confidence back. He needed to get his mechanics back. He needed to get his footwork 
changed up. Uh, there were a lot of things that needed to happen. And this coaching staff came in and they fixed him. He was broken and they fixed him. And it took a while. And there was a time last year after that Pittsburgh game where I wrote a column saying that he hasn't shown he's a franchise quarterback and that and time is running out. And he got it all turned around after that. And he started going in a different direction and he absolutely took off. So I, I would say I would be hugely in favor of writing off 2019. I'd say yes and no and writing it off because yeah, it was obviously a, it's not something that he's taking and building off of, you know, it was, it was a rough year, but there were things in there that I think really backed up the move of bringing Stefanski here because 2019 showed that Baker, like you mentioned, Dan, how he, he did, I think it was 10 percentage points higher. His, his completion percentage was on play action versus non-play action. You know, that kind of came to the forefront in 2019 and how well Baker did in like 12 personnel. And I think even 13 personnel that year, those types of situations, even though it was a bad year for the offense, he still performed well in those. And also on bootlegs, you know, they didn't use them a ton, but he did perform well when they did that. So all those things, I think, help back up the reasoning behind bringing someone like Kevin Stefanski in, whose offense is built around a lot of those things. So, you know, they kind of pulled out the good stuff, what little there was in 2019, and, and really focused on it last season. And you're building your whole offense around things that, that Baker has had success doing. Yeah, 13th in 2020. This is what I was referencing. I said rating earlier. I meant completion percentage. He was 13th in difference in completion percentage when it came to play action versus non-play action. So, uh, you know, yeah, I think you're right, Scott. That is sort of something they learned kind of the hard way going through what happened with Freddie Kitchens and just the mess that 2019 was. So, I don't know, maybe 2019 was something the, or- the whole organization needed to just have this disastrous overhyped year and they go 6-10. and 10. It sort of humbled a lot of people and you know, maybe in that sense, especially from a mental standpoint, it, it sort of humbled everyone in that building, probably including Baker a little bit, because Mary Kay, we saw a very different Baker, you know, in that off season after 2019, he, you know, the bravado wasn't there when, when we would talk to him and he was just very straightforward. A lot of that comes from Kevin Stefanski, but it was a very different Baker, I, I think, leading up to 2020 even. Yeah, and and it had to be that bad. If it wasn't that bad, they might not have made the change that they did. I mean, you needed six and 10. If you had gone eight and eight, there might have been an argument to try to keep Freddie Kitchens, right? Or, you know, they could have won a couple more games there. And if they did that, uh, they would not probably have been able to as easily clean house the way that they did. And that was so vitally important. I think they still would have done it because by that point they really knew the truth of what was going on but yeah I do think that it affected the change that we saw last year and one of the other points that I uh, that I would really like to make about why I think Baker will be able to put together a full season in 2021 I think the defense this was the last point that I made uh, I think a much better defense is going to to make a huge difference for Baker Mayfield. Um, I cite some statistics in that number six uh, where I I went through and I looked at the takeaways in the first like five games of the season, but there were, you know, a bunch of takeaways in the first like five games of the season. And then the rest of the season, there, there just weren't that many at all. And this year, I think that he will benefit greatly from a completely overhauled defense. I think they're going to force more fumbles. They're going to recover more fumbles. They're going to get more interceptions. They, they finished 
tied for 18th in the NFL with only 21 takeaways last season. You know, I think they're going to have a lot more. They didn't fare well on third down and they did not fare well in giving up touchdowns, the defense. So I just think that for, for many quarterbacks that I've talked to over the years, they always say that their best friend is a really good defense. And this year, He's going to have that. They're going to be able to get off the field. They're, they're going to be able to get those takeaways for him. And they will complement the offense in such a way that I think it's going to help him have a, a really good season from start to finish. Yeah, it was 14 takeaways in the first eight games. And they had at least one in six of those eight games. And then just seven uh, the rest of the regular season. And that was three against the Titans, three against the Eagles. And then one against the Steelers in week 17. So it was really spread out and it just got more sporadic. But there was uh, like every week there was some big turnover to that first half of the season. You're right. And I think it changes the approach for a quarterback, too, when he knows he doesn't have to score 40 points to, to win a football game when he knows that that defense is going to help him on that front. So do we all believe Baker's going to have a, a a full season? It's Mary Kay. It sounds like you believe it's going to happen. I, I'm pretty confident that we're going to see a high level of play from Baker Mayfield for 16 games. I don't know what that looks like, but I think we'll see top 10 level quarterback play from Baker Mayfield. Good enough play from Baker Mayfield for sure to, to get where the Browns want to go in 2021. Scott, what about you? I think that there are, there are no uh, like built in excuses as of right now. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, everything's kind of set up for him to, to succeed and kind of pick up where he left off and we'll see how it goes. I think, if he does come out and struggle, that's going to be somewhere you're really sifting through trying to figure out why it happened. Because, you know, if it's not injuries, if it's not uh, the running game, if he's just not playing the way he did at the end of last season, then you have serious questions to ask yourself about Baker Mayfield. Yeah. And, and, and I think in, in addition to all the things that we have mentioned, again, there, there are so many more reasons who has an offensive line like this. I mean, this is one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. There are some people who believe that it will be the best offensive line in the NFL this year. And I think PFF ranked them as the best last year. Uh, so he's got that. He's got the running game. He's completely 100% supported by a running game. He's got Odell Beckham Jr. coming back. Uh, he now will know Austin Hooper. I think their chemistry will be better. David Njoku, I think his head is going to be in the game this year. He's not going to be wanting out and having one foot out the door this year. So I think he'll be a lot better. And then, you know, they added some other pieces. You know, they, they've got some other weapons to, to add to the offense in, in Anthony Schwartz, Demetri Felton. I think you'll see more from Donovan Peoples-Jones. And I think you'll see a lot more from the coaching staff. So it's all, uh, it's all laid out for him. And Warren Sharp tweeted this on Wednesday. The most expensive offenses in 2021. Cleveland is at the top of the list by far. I mean, they're $15 million ahead of Dallas. They are $23 million ahead of Tampa Bay. Those are because the, the receivers and the offensive line. That's yeah. Basically, let's yeah. that up. That right. doesn't even include the big quarterback contract, right? I mean, most teams yeah. uh, that are behind them on that list have paid a quarterback big money probably, right? I think so, they're first in offensive line and like third in receiver salary. Yeah. Last time I checked. Yeah. So it's it's all there. It's all expensive. I don't think Baker's going to have this sort of talent around him necessarily again in his career, especially at, at the price the Browns are paying for it. Okay, Scott, you had our second question in the series. So what was it? 
I did. I focused on uh, the defense and first-round draft pick Greg Newsom and whether or not he is a better fit for the Browns defense than Greedy Williams. And uh, a while back, I had uh, kind of started looking at you know, how often the Browns played zone coverages last season, and it was a lot. It was about 70% of the time. Greedy Williams has not been particularly – his abilities haven't been really great in zone. He came out of LSU as a real – like a premier press man – corner and we know Denzel Ward can do that and I think a lot of people expected the defense to kind of go that way when he showed up but Steve Wilkes didn't do that he played zone probably it was close to 60 percent of the time and Greedy struggled Um, he was good when they were in man but he struggled in zone so Joe Wood shows up and he really ramped it up like I said over 70 percent so we don't really know for sure if that was Joe Woods looking around seeing what he had on the defense and realizing zone's probably my best option here because Denzel can do everything, but Terrence Mitchell, not great in man. Kevin Johnson, not great in man. My safeties are kind of a a mess right now. That could be why he did that. But now he's got this group of with Greg Newsom who came from a, uh, a scheme in Northwestern where they played predominantly zone. And he's coming into the NFL as someone who really excels in that. Again, Denzel can play anything. You brought in two guys from the Rams and Troy Hill and John Johnson, who came from a team that played zone 80% of the time. So he's got a lot of guys here who, who can excel in that and have done well in that. Does Greedy Williams fit into that? You know, he, he sat out all last year, and now it seems he might be in a position where he has to not only try and win a spot back on this team, but also show that he can do something well that he hasn't done well whether it's been in college or the pros. So that's kind of what my question uh, revolved around is, does Greg Newsom already kind of have a leg up on uh, what we're assuming will be the competition for the spot across from Denzel Ward? And, you know, a lot of the, the past performance and just how Joe Woods has run his defense would say that he might. Again, you, they could decide, hey, we're going to get in people's faces and, and have our outside corners press because if that's the case, well, then you've got three that are really good at it. Because Greg Newsom could do that. Denzel can do that. Greedy Williams can do that. But again, that hasn't been what Joe Woods has shown here with the Browns. Well, it's, it's a great question. And I will say that uh, Scott came up with most of our 21 questions. So thank you for that. They're all really, really good. Um, and this is a very interesting one. Uh, and I, I think the other thing to consider when you look at, at these two guys and how this might shake out is the fact that they really do uh, have a type at each position. And they are so scheme specific that, you know, they are just drafting for exactly what they need. And therefore you would have to think that the guy that they drafted would be a better fit for what they're going to do than the guy they didn't draft. And Greedy Williams was a John Dorsey pick. So whether it's this year or whether it's next year or whether it's halfway through this year, we know Uh, that they identified Greg Newsom as their starting cornerback opposite Denzel Ward. And I think they'll mix it up between man and zone. I think you're right. I think they did a lot of zone last year out of necessity, but this is a football team and a coaching staff that plays to the strengths of their players. So if you've got, got guys that can play press man coverage and they do, you know, then I think they will dust that off and use it more often than they did. But, you know, as we move forward, you know, keep in mind that 
you know, when you draft a guy in the first round, that's your man. That is who you put have so many eggs into that basket. You've spent so much time on that guy. They were ecstatic to get him. And I, I do think that uh, in, in the final analysis, he's their man. Mary Kay, I think you made the key point there too about who drafted Greedy, who, you know, who was here, who, you know, the continuity issue of it all, right? The, the idea that maybe they like Grady Williams, but like you said, they did go out and draft Greg Newsom at number 26. So that tells you something that this front office tends to put their cards on the table when it's time to do it. And you can usually read what they're thinking. So yeah, for, with all that information as Scott was kind of laying all of that out, laying out what Greg Newsom did at Northwestern and how the Browns have a bunch of guys that like to play zone. You know, this is Andrew Barry's second draft and the second time that he's been drafting for Joe Woods. So yeah, I, I do think there's probably something there where, maybe Greg Newsom is just going to end up being a better scheme fit because Greedy Williams wasn't drafted by the GM who's here for a defensive coordinator who's not here anymore. And, and I think that all matters. Yeah. One of my other questions uh, in this series is going to be, what do we expect from a Joe Woods defense, which incidentally, I think was the same question we had last season when we did this, you know, but we're in this situation with so many new people that we have to ask that question again, because we don't know. And when you add, uh, when you look at the people they've added on defense, so many of them, we've used the term versatile, you know, just about everybody is able to do multiple things. And I think that's the key here that no matter what Joe Woods does, he probably has a combination of players who can pull it off. And, you know, whether, whether it's going uh, zone heavy again or, or mixing it up or even, you know, half the fields, this half the fields that he's got options that he didn't have last season. So that could help obviously greedy Williams. Uh, they're going to put him in a position where he's going to succeed and they don't have to necessarily count on him and say, all right, you're out here. And yeah, we know you don't do this well, but you're, you're what we got. You know, he's not in that situation uh, this year. So all that versatility that they've added is just going to be, it's going to help. And I think it's going to make it interesting to figure out how Woods is going to coordinate this defense. The, the other thing to note um, about Greedy Williams is the fact that this isn't a situation where, the new regime does not like Greedy Williams. It's not like that at all. And that does happen sometimes when, when a new crew comes in, uh, sometimes they just completely dislike some of the guys that were there before, not from a personality standpoint, but from a player standpoint. And that's not it with Greedy. What they, what they feel about him right now is that he has worked really, really hard to, to make up for whatever deficiencies he may have had uh, in his first season. Uh, and he was poised to come back last year and, and really take it up a notch, which he was going to need to do. Uh, he did not grade out well as a rookie, and they were really going to need him to take that step up, that 25% jump or whatever it is that they expect uh, guys to make from their first year to their second year. And they have been so pleased. They were really happy with him heading into last season and what he had shown off the field in terms of studying and working on his technique and all of those kind of things. And they're still very happy with what he's done to try to come back from this nerve damage in his shoulder. So this isn't a situation that we've seen so many times before where they just don't like the old guy. They're pulling for him. They're rooting for him. So he is going to get a chance. Now we watched OTAs yesterday and uh, he was very limited and he probably will be limited uh, until, you know, until they get somewhere into training camp. But for the most part, they're, they're kind of high on what he's been able to, to do in terms of his rehab, his attitude, his studying, and all the things they needed him to do. One other interesting thing to watch is if the Browns 
think Newsom can slide inside every now and again, if that might give William Greedy some opportunities to get on the field. Obviously, we've got Troy Hill, and I, I was looking around. You know, Greedy did not play inside uh, really at all his rookie year, just, just a few snaps in the slot. Uh, Scott, you wrote about this. It was actually something I found as I, as I was looking this up on the fly about how Greg Newsom didn't play a lot in the slot at Northwestern and your three things to know about him after the Browns picked him. And, you know, they're not going to displace Troy Hill, but I, I do wonder if there could be some situations where if they believe Newsom can handle playing inside, if they maybe slide him to the inside and, and let Greedy and Denzel be on the field together on the outside. Different ways to get guys on the field, especially if they're going against a team that uses a lot of wide receivers. And we've seen, we've seen teams use some interesting schemes to slow down, you know, versatile quarterbacks. That could mean putting, you know, maybe you got three outside cornerbacks on the field at the same time, along with, along with Troy Hill. And the Browns certainly play enough dynamic quarterbacks of this season to maybe think outside the box a little bit. We assume they're going to have three safeties on the field a lot, but, you know, if you have that talent at, at outside corner, maybe that ends up showing itself too. You know what I think is going to happen this season with all the new faces on defense? Last year, we all saw that it took the coaching staff a while to figure out their personnel, how to best use them, and to really get to know them, to see how they reacted in the moment, to see how they did in the red zone. Uh, It's one thing to sort of see it on paper, but to actually watch it happen during a football game in the heat of the moment under pressure and all those other kinds of things. It took them a while to get to know their offensive players like that. And I think the same thing is going to happen on this defense. What they think heading in might not be how it turns out. So I think the first at least quarter of the season and all these things that we're talking about in terms of versatility and who's going to be on the field when, I think it's going to be a work in progress. And I think that we will see it evolve over the season. The first four games, because I don't think they're going to be playing their veterans an absolute ton in the preseason. So they've got a long way to go during the season and playoffs. So uh, I think those first four games of the season is going to be a feeling out process for for Joe Woods and for Kevin Stefanski to see how those pieces and parts fit together best. And when they're in the nickel, who's on the field? When they're in the big nickel, who's on the field? When it's the dime defense, what linebackers do you still have out there? Uh, So I think uh, they're going to have to figure it out as they go along. So there might be some growing pains early on Uh, But as they start to hit their stride and when they really need them to be good in November and December, I think they'll have it figured out. And Joe Woods loved that dime defense when he was in Denver. So that's, that's another thing with with all those DBs, he's going to be able to, to have a lot of fun there. Okay. My question was about second year players and which ones would have the biggest impact. So I just turned it into a ranking of second year guys. I ranked seven guys and then I threw in a wild card. And I put Grant Delpit number one. Is, is there any argument against that, that Grant Delpit isn't the second-year player that has the potential to have the biggest impact this year, considering what his role was going to be last year and the fact that if he's back and he's healthy, he's going to be starting at a position that they very clearly prioritize? Yeah, I absolutely think a, a really strong case could be made for Grant Delpit because if he's healthy, uh, he's going to be on the field a lot. We know that. I mean, they they were so excited about him last year. Uh, they were ecstatic to get him where they did, and they had big, huge plans for Grant Delpit last year in all these various roles that we're talking about. 
on the field as the big nickel, you know, just playing up, playing back, all, all the things that they envision for him. If he has recovered enough sufficiently from the ruptured Achilles, tough injury to come back from, uh, but if he's back from it, uh, then I would have to say that he absolutely has the chance to make that biggest leap and make the most impact out of the second year guys. I mean, he's definitely going to be the guy who makes the kind of, you, know, you expect he's going to make the impact plays that you're going to notice. But I would have, if I was doing this, if I had gotten this question, I would have had a hard time figuring out which way I was going to go between Wills and Delpit. Because I think Jedrick Wills and his role uh, on the offensive line and being part of one of the best lines in the NFL, he's a key part of that. If you're not paying attention to the offensive linemen, that means they're doing a good job probably. And I'm not sure which way I would have gone, but yeah, I probably could have been talked into Delpit here because he is someone that they obviously had plans for last year and he's going to get opportunities to, to do things that are going to stick in your head for sure. Now, I'm glad you mentioned Wills. I put him at number two. And originally when I was kind of putting together the list, I had him way too low. And I think just it kind of hit me. I'm like, well, yeah, that's because he's an offensive lineman. And, you know, if he's doing well, well, you're not going to notice him, like you said. So I, I had to put him number two, though, for that positional importance. Now, I want to know what you guys think of how I sort of sorted this three, four, five, and six. So I went with number three, Jacob Phillips. Then I put Donovan Peoples-Jones four, Harrison Bryant five. I had some issues trying to figure out where to put him. And Jordan Elliott six. But I really think you could put those guys in any order and make a pretty – like I could put Jordan, Jordan Elliott third. I would hair. I think I had actually had Harrison Bryant third on, on my original list uh, of those four guys. I think you could really have them in any order. Uh, well, yeah, I was looking through this and I'm like, I don't know if this is the order I'd put him in. <laughs> I, I think I would put Bryant and Elliot at the top of that group. If I was doing it uh, ahead of, of Phillips and, and DPJ, uh, I just think they're going to get based on last season. I think Bryant is going to be on the field a ton, uh, obviously more than people's Jones and probably more than Phillips. Uh, and then Elliot's kind of the wild card because you're not really sure how they're going to do a rotation. It's kind of the norm, I guess, has been two guys getting the bulk of the snaps in there at defensive tackle. And then, you know, there's a third guy who kind of rotates in there. But it could be different because they have a ton of guys competing for spots in there and they might keep more. So he is a draft pick. So, But I would put Bryant maybe at the top of the, that, that group. Just because I think he's going to have more opportunities to make an impact than than the other guys there. Yeah, Dan, I agree. You know, this is this is tough. It was tough when you get to these last four guys because it will all be dictated, as, as we've mentioned, by how much playing time they're actually going to get. And there are some unknowns here. I mean, Jacob Phillips, he could be, you know, he could be on the, the field a significant amount, but if if they kind of have him targeted more as, as a Mike and Anthony Walker nails down that position, then uh, Jacob finds himself in more of a rotation or maybe they change things up a little bit and, and he plays a different spot so they could get him on the field. I, I do think that they want him to take a big step up and they have the high hopes for him this season. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think we've all mentioned so many times that uh, we really, really like what we saw from him last year. He played with poise. He played with high football acumen, good field awareness. He looked the part and he was in some pressure situations and he handled most of them really, really well. So you want to get him on the field, but how and when? It's a big mystery how you're going to do that, right? 
again, I think that one of the best ways to do that is to take some reps away from Rashard Higgins because Donovan Peoples-Jones brings a little bit of a different element to the field. And once again, you drafted him. There's something to be said for being a draft pick of the regime that's in power. Harrison Bryant, they're paying David Njoku $6 million this year. You want to get your money's worth this year and let Harrison still kind of learn on the job a little bit uh, and get as much as you can out of David Njoku, who I think can be a much bigger red zone threat than he is uh, or that he has been. So it remains to be seen how much you're going to get Harrison Bryant on the field. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't play three tight ends, three wides, two running back. I mean, like there's just not enough room on the field for all of this. Uh, Jordan Elliott, it, it's up to him how much playing time he wants to get. There, there are openings there. So he's got to really stand out in training camp and show, hey, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to be better than Andrew Billings. And I'm going to be, you know, I deserve more playing time than uh, Malik McDowell or not necessarily Malik Jackson, because I think Malik Jackson is going to be on the field a ton. And then we don't know yet if Sheldon Richardson's coming back. I mean, that's still kind of hanging out there. It seems hard to believe that that you could find a place for him, but that is still a possibility. So, yeah, a lot of my thinking was when you looked at the depth of the positions, you know, Wills and Delpit are no-brainers as one and two because you know they're going to play, and especially Wills, you you know, he's going to be a starter there. With Bryant, it kind of comes down to, you know, Najoku, who made a little bit of a push playing time-wise late in the season and, frankly, was more reliable in the second half of the season. Bryant had some issues in the second half. He's got to put some of those behind him. Donovan Peoples-Jones, same thing. What's his role going to be? Jordan Elliott. Is he going to be able to get on the field with all those defensive tackles? Like what if Malik McDowell is really good and, and keeps himself on the field? There's just so many questions there. And it's kind of why I, I erred on the side of Jacob Phillips, because I do think there's an opportunity there for him to get some time, you know, have Anthony Walker there. Of course you have Owusu Koromoa, but after that, I think there might be some opportunities for Jacob Phillips to get on the field and, and maybe make some plays. So yeah, I, I actually asked our Football Insider subscribers to rank them too earlier today, and Harrison Bryant was third on their list, Peoples-Jones fourth, Elliott fifth, and Jacob Phillips sixth. So they certainly did not agree with me uh, on this front either. And then I had Curtis Weaver as the wild card in the whole time. I mean, Nick Harris was on the list as seventh just because kind of like with James Hudson, if everything goes as planned, we're not going to see much of Nick Harris this year. So he's, he's still probably a year or two away from really getting a significant opportunity. But then Curtis Weaver, everybody wants to know what Curtis Weaver can be taken conveniently. I looked this up. I think it was four spots after Nick Harris. So the Browns kind of got their cake and, and they get to eat it too here. If Curtis Weaver turns into something. Well, Dan, one more thing real quick about um, Jacob Phillips. Another case uh, to be made for putting him where you did is the fact that uh, when you draft a guy that high in the third round, uh, you do have expectations for him. A third round pick is somebody that uh, ideally you want him to become a starter for you. Uh, so I think that's significant, you know, that, you know, you could argue that he belongs up there at number three because they're going to want to see him succeed. There we have it. Our 21 questions recap, our first three questions. If you haven't been following the series, you can find them all at cleveland.com slash Browns. If you've got to be a football insider subscriber to read some of them, you got to go up to that blue banner at the top of the page. You'll get more than just the 21 question story. I told you all about it here off the top of the show. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. Click that, get information and get signed up. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to our podcast because we're going five days a week all the way through training camp. We've got some good stuff planned to get you through now 
and the start of Brown's training camp at the end of July. So for Scott and Mary Cam, Dan, thanks for listening, everybody.